Hi, I'm Pastor Mark Barrett, and welcome to Hope of Glory. Teaching and growing together through the Bible. This is Hope of Glory with Pastor Mark Barrett. Thank you for joining us today on Hope of Glory. Recent statistics show one in nine people enjoy the job that they work at. But even though we may not like it, have you ever thought about how God views our jobs? Even though we may not do a sacred kind of job like working in a church, we can still glorify God by the things we do at our workplace. Today we'll learn through God's Word about how He wants us to work for Him at our jobs. Talking about this topic uh, over the last few weeks, uh, taking care, and we've learned that um, there's a lot of things to take care of in life, and so today I want to talk to you about taking care of our work. God even has something to say about our work. Let me ask you this morning as we get started, how you, de how you would describe your job? Okay, not all at once now. I mean, <laughs> some of us have uh, some good things to say, and some of you maybe have some negative things to say about your job. Maybe it feels kind of like purgatory, a necessary evil that you've got to get through and just to get, get by and, and, uh, until something better comes along. Uh, some people describe their jobs as a ball and chain, and other people describe their jobs as a ball, fun, enjoyable, fulfilling, satisfying. Employees here at North Broadway would say that, amen? <laughs> <laughs> but I want to ask you this morning, where does God fit into it all? Where does God fit into the mix of your job? Do you think God is irrelevant to your career? You know, some people, they come to church and then they go off and they say, well, that's, that's a different part of my life. That's, this is my religion and that's my job and they're two different things. But let me ask you, does God come into the play? Is God relevant to your job? Do you see your work as, some, uh, as one of many facets of life's jewels, uh, interconnected with a larger and brighter purpose for your life? Or is it more like a chunk of granite that somebody slipped into your backpack and you're carrying around as a burden throughout life as you endure? not knowing which direction you're going. Now, as I talk about this subject, if it stirs up uh, feelings of dissatisfaction and, and maybe even a bit of discouragement, well, you're not alone. Because statistics have found that only one in nine people are satisfied with their jobs. Now, that's pretty astounding to me. So if you're one of the nine, dissatisfied with your job, I've got some good news for you, and that is that as Christians, we're free to enjoy our careers, our jobs, no matter what we do for a living. So get that in your mind, number one, that as Christians, we've got freedom to enjoy it, no matter what we do for a living. God deeply cares about our work. No matter how minute you believe that your job is, no matter how expansive and how large it might be, God cares about the quality, the character of your job. 
And I want us to discover this morning from God's word and from God's perspective, his guidelines for being fulfilled and glorifying him and being good stewards of our work, regardless of what that is. Let's, uh, let's begin this morning by looking at God's word to see our work from God's perspective, our work from God's perspective. You see, since God is the inventor of work, I think he must have something to say about it. I think that it's appropriate for us to look at our jobs from his point of view. And the first thing that we discover in God's word, believe it or not, is that your work is not a curse. Now, I know that some people believe that work is a part of the curse that God uh, cast on mankind in the very beginning when, when man fell into sin. And I'm sure that some of you maybe feel like your particular job must have been named specifically in that curse, right? <laughs> but really, it's not. It's not. See, work existed even before sin entered into the world. Did you know that? If you take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15, we find the very first job description ever given to mankind. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. This verse should encourage Anyone who is in the landscaping business. <laughs> because landscaping management was the first job description. So if you selected a job as a farmer or a botanist or a horticulturalist or in growing and grooming plants, well, you can be proud because your roots go right back to the beginning. Sorry for the pun. God didn't intend work to be a curse. God, God intended our work to be fulfilling, enjoyable, and, um, and, and, and full of satisfaction. Yes, it was affected by the fall into sin, but originally God designed his work to be a part of his perfect creation. By the way, God created man with a very nature and a desire to work, to work, is to, is to be fulfilled. So God didn't intend for man just to sit around and, you know, kick his feet up. That, that's great for a little bit while, for a little while, but, but, but man was really created with this inward desire to, to work, to do something with their lives. So, number one, that work is not a part of the curse. Work was designed by God to be fulfilling. Number two, we discovered that there's no div division between secular and sacred work. A lot of people make that division. They say, well, this is a secular. That what I do here in the church, that's sacred, but what I do out there is secular. No, no, there, there's no division in the word. Sometimes God does call people from the secular into the sacred full time. Sometimes God does that. I know of many people who they were in a secular job. They were driving a truck or they were a mechanic or they did some other, other job in the world and God called them out of that and, and, and placed them in full time ministry. Sometimes God does that. But there's really no division between secular 
and sacred. God doesn't designate one area or the other like that. Rather, whatever we do, the Bible says, he wants us to do it to reflect his glory and to reveal his character. Where do I get that? Well, if you turn over with me to the book of Colossians and chapter 3, this is what Paul said in verses uh, 23 and 24. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Now, he's not talking about people who are just in full-time ministry there. He's talking to everybody. He's talking to sacred and secular. He's across the board. Whether you're a farmer or a fisherman or a mechanic or a carpenter, whatever you do in life, an accountant or you're a banker or you're, you're, you're self-employed, whatever you do in life, he says, do it heartily as unto the Lord. Now, if we take those words literally, that means that a cherry picker is no less of a, a minister for the gospel than is a missionary, and uh, a stay-at-home mom isn't any less of an evangelist than, than is a full-time evangelist. You see, whether we turn a phrase for a living or we turn a wrench for a living, Christ wants to be at the center of our vocation. It was Doug Seaman who reiterates this truth in his excellent book, uh, Your Work Matters to God. Let me, let me read just a, a portion of what he writes. He says, quote, as I have talked to hundreds of workers in business and the professions, in the military, in government, in education, in the ministry, I invariably detect a tension between the world of work and the world of religion. I believe that the tension suggests an abnormality. As Christians, we have over many years allowed a chasm to grow between our faith and our work, uh, and our day-to-day -day work, a chasm that God never intended. I believe those words. I mean, just look through scriptures, and you'll find that God's greatest champions were many times honored by God for doing rather unspectacular jobs. Have you noticed that? I mean, Abraham, the great father of the nations, was a shepherd, Moses and David, shepherds. Ruth was a grain gatherer. Nehemiah held the king's cup. Jesus was a carpenter. Peter was a fisherman as a, as a living. Paul, the great apostle Paul, he was a tent maker. And the prophet Amos was a shepherd and he grew figs. You see, God uses real people not plaster saints. He uses people who sweat and they get their hands dirty. And as Christians, we're all in the ministry whether we like it or not. We're all ministers to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whether your office is in the church building or your office is in your truck or your office is in your field or your office maybe is, uh, is, is in your car, you, you are a servant of God. And that means that we need to do our jobs as unto the Lord and with a great deal of integrity. In fact, I believe that Christians ought to be the best employees anyone ever hired. I, I believe that Christians ought to be the kind of people that, that 
the world looks up to and says, that's the kind of person I want to work in my shop. That's the kind of person I want driving my truck. That's the kind of person I want working in my field. We ought to be doing this as, as well as we can. Someone who anyone would want to hire. Now, unfortunately, that's not always the case. So let's talk about the kind of employee, number one, that nobody wants. Let's talk about the kind of person that nobody would want to have, and I hope that none of us would want to be. Scripture actually points to two kinds of employees that nobody would ever want. If you take your Bible and turn back to uh, Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 24, uh, Solomon actually talks about this. He gives us an idea of an employee nobody wants. Chapter 24 and verse 30, listen to what he says. I went by the field of the lazy man, by the vineyard of the man devoid of understanding. And there it was, all overgrown with thorns. Its surface was covered with nettles. Its stone wall was broken down. When I saw it, I considered it well. I looked on it and received instruction. Here's the instruction he got. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. So shall your poverty come like a prowler and your need like an armed man. The first employee that nobody wants is a lazy man. Some scripture describes that person as a sluggard. Have you ever seen a sluggard in your office, in your field, driving beside you, uh, working beside you? Solomon says... There, there are signs of a sluggard. There, there are signs of the la lazy man. There are signs of the person who is regarded as lazy. Uh, their trademark is procrastination and neglect. In other words, they look like they're working all day long, but in reality, they're, they're creatively avoiding the real thing. You know who I'm talking about, don't you? You've seen them. They're the type of employee who puts on a good show when the boss is around. And it isn't that they don't do what they're asked to do, but rarely or ever do they go beyond what they're asked to do. And rarely do they ever produce except at the lowest possible return for the paycheck. And from people I talk to, around town. There are an awful lot of employees like that. <laughs> Those are people that nobody wants. People that nobody wants to hire. And then Solomon seems to be suggesting that in whatever God has given us to do, we need to do it with vigor and with devotion. If the environment that you work within makes it impossible for you to do that, well then, maybe you need to change jobs. But before you do that, don't go out saying, well, Pastor Mark said I should change my job. Don't do that. <laughs> before you do that, maybe you should consider that God has you in that place for a particular purpose. Maybe you need to be an example of Christ's likeness. Maybe you need to be an example of what it means to be a hard worker. Maybe you need to shine a little light in that place of employment. Maybe that's why God has you there. Another employee nobody wants is, is called the deceiver. Who is a deceiver? 
Well, the deceiver is the person who kind of has a tendency to, to dip their hand into the company coffers when nobody's looking. You know the kind? A pen here, a calculator there, a little exaggerating on the time or the expense sheet, calling in sick when they aren't, abandoning principles for profit. In fact, uh, the Proverbs has something to say about that. Over in Proverbs chapter 10, uh, verse 2, uh, Solomon has something to say about that. He says, Treasures of wickedness profit nothing, but righteousness delivers from death. The New Living Testament says it a little bit more uh, clearly when he says, Ill-gotten gain has no lasting value, but right living can save your life. Isn't that good? Look at chapter 11 of Proverbs, verse 18. He says, the wicked man does deceptive work, but he who sows righteousness will have a sure reward. In other words, while the deceiver is stocking up on stolen goods, be it of paper clips or computer software or even wages, the deceiver is literally bankrupting their character. You see, there will, there will only be lasting value to a salary or to praise or to advancement or to, to, to bonuses if they are earned with integrity. And that's why verse 18 says... Um, he who sows righteousness will have a sure reward. Listen, there isn't anything in this world worth losing your character over. That's the main thing, your character. Now, Scripture also has something to say about the qualities of a good employee. And in the book of Proverbs, we actually find three marks of a good employee. The first mark of a good employee is diligence. Over in Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 4, he has something to say about that. He who has a slack hand becomes poor, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Now I want you to notice the parallel between those verses. Diligence is the opposite of negligence. You see, the diligent employee, he pays attention to his work. You don't have to poke him and, and prod him to get him to do what he's supposed to be doing in the first place. Uh, but there's just a certain amount of motivation in their bones. They just want to work. They want to do the job. We could identify that person with three characteristics. First of all, they're alert and focused. I mean, here's the kind of person that no, no customer can walk through the doors but they don't recognize who they are, that is, that they're a customer, and that they don't go and assist that person in finding what they need to the best of their ability. They instinctively know what job has to be done. They do it without being told twice, and maybe sometimes without being told at all. If a shelf needs to be cleaned off, they don't need to be told to clean the shelf. They just go and do it. If, a, if something needs to be done in the office, they, they just do it instinctively. They, they don't have to be told to do it. See, they, they have an, an, an alertness. They have an awareness. They are, they're, they're keen. They're focused. 
they also take responsibility for the tasks that have been given to them. I mean, they don't, they don't blame other people for a job undone. They don't blame other people when the books don't balance. I mean, they take personal responsibility when something goes wrong, and they always work to resolve it. Thirdly, they're disciplined. They have a high standard of quality that they maintain from start to finish. I mean, once they get halfway through a job, they don't kind of just peter out and find a, you know, a back corner to, to sleep in somewhere. But they give their all right to the end. Those are the characteristics of diligence. And it's, we, it's when we work with diligence that the, pro, the proverb says that we're going to be blessed with wealth. Now, that's not just material wealth. You know that's not true. But there isn't any greater wealth that is, has a greater satisfaction than a job well done. That's what he's talking about. The second characteristic of a good employee is thoughtfulness. Number one, diligence. Number two, thoughtfulness. Whatever happened to compassion and tact in the workplace? Can you answer me that? Whatever happened to that? Why is it that certain employees and employers think that they can rule with a big stick and still get a positive response? Right? Why is it that employees think that they can be rude and short with people, with customers, and, and just feel like they're doing their job? It doesn't make sense. In fact, the Bible has something to say about that. Go back to uh, Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 10. This is what Solomon says. A righteous man regards the life of his animal. But the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. Now I know that's talking about the person who owns an animal. Okay, so in this agricultural setting of Solomon, uh, people would be uh, sheep herders. They would have goats. They would have, um, you know, maybe camels. They would have all kinds of animals like that, right? And he's talking about the person who cares for his animal. And he says he's tender with them. He, he's, he, he has, shows mercy towards them. And so my question is, if we're called as people to be tender with our animals, whether you have a dog or a cat or, you know, I don't know, a mule out back, if, you, if, if we can be tender and loving and kind to our animals, what does that say about how we should treat other human beings? And so, just a word for those who are bosses. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 23. 27, 23. This is for bosses. Be diligent to know the state of your flocks and attend to your herds. That's an interesting verse. The word know means to be intimately aware of. And the word attend means to take care of them to, their, to the best of your ability. Look at chapter 28, verse 15. Like a roaring lion and a charging bear is a wicked ruler over poor people. A ruler who lacks understanding is a great oppressor. But he who hates covetousness will prolong his days. Do you, do you want to be a good boss? Do, do you want to be a good uh, employer? Do you, do you want to be respected? Then the Bible says, treat your employees like people. 
not numbers. Be genuinely concerned about their lives. Know your flock, he says. Know the condition of your flock. Take time to understand their unique skills and their ways of working. Not everybody works the same, right? Not everybody has the same skill level. Figure that out. Put them where they're best used. Thoughtfulness can take you way beyond wise leadership. It can transform you into a person who makes a positive, lasting impact on another person's life. The third characteristic of a good employee is skill. Back in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 29. Do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown men. Are you skilled at what you do? Do you perform your, bo- your, your job with expertise and resourcefulness? No matter how knowledgeable you are, you know, you can never be, be knowledgeable enough. You can always grow. You can always get better at what you do. I mean, after 37 years of ministry, I'm still growing as a pastor. I'm still learning as a leader. But early in my career, even after Bible school, seven years worth of it, I, uh, I still began to devour books on leadership. They don't really teach you that very well in Bible school. They teach you how to exegete the scriptures, and they teach you how to preach, and you know, that kind of stuff. But they don't really teach you about leadership very well. And so I began to devour books on leadership and I would go to seminars and clinics on leadership and I was just like growing like crazy. But I'm still learning. 37 years later and I'm still growing. I'm still reading reams of books on leadership. I'm still going to seminars and clinics. So how about you? Are, are, you, are you learning? Are you growing? Maybe in the place where you work, they would be willing to send you to a seminar or a clinic of some sort in order to be able to do your job better. In the least, what I would say to you is read. Find some good books and read them. Strive to improve your abilities and expertise. And I guarantee you, if you do that, you'll never find yourself out of work. That's the kind of employee people want. Oh, and by the way, Remember that your job isn't just a job. Remember that your job is a calling. Your job is a ministry. Your job is a God-ordained activity. Your job is greater than nine to five. It's a part of eternity. Authors Arthur Miller and Ralph Matson contend that we can't find real satisfaction in our employment without discovering first our unique God-given design. Listen to what they say. The world, for the most part, assumes you are something to be molded or manipulated or shaped or trained or taught. That you are the raw material for somebody else's intentions. Our contention is that you have a design of your own, God's blueprint, and can only be fulfilled when you carry out that design, regardless of how high or low on the ladder of success you are. I love that. I believe the scriptures actually support that. 
The fact that we aren't just random creatures, but that we've been crafted and molded by God with intricate bodies and souls and with spiritual gifts that we receive at salvation. And so if you feel stuck in the wrong job, well, maybe you are. There's a reason that we don't all do the same thing. There's a reason why we're different. And so, for example, if you get stage fright, well, you probably should not go into the career of being a politician or an acting or, or being a preacher. That's not for you. If you're tone deaf, please do not become a musician. A person who cannot stand working with numbers has no place in the accounting office. You get the picture? Find out what you do best. Find out what you enjoy the most. And do it as unto the Lord, recognizing there's an eternal planet at all. When I graduated from high school, my parents thought I should go to business school because that's what my brothers did. They said, you should get a... Uh, get a degree in business. Well, I didn't know any better, and I said, okay, so I went into a business course. I studied accounting, and I studied business, and I studied, you know, long and short range goal making and all that kind of stuff. After two semesters, I was so sick and, bo and bored and just out of my mind with it that I, that I quit. I just knew that wasn't for me. It just didn't fit at all. But I had a calling on my life for ministry, and I knew that from a very young age. And so I told my mom and dad that I was going to go to Bible school. And uh, so I, I spent the next year earning enough money to go to my first couple of years of, of Bible school and uh, carried on from there. Uh, why? Why did I do that? Be because that was my fit. That, that was my calling. I knew that I was going to be a preacher. It's what I, I, I thought I did pretty well. Uh, I, I took all the speech classes in school, and, and, and I, I went into competitions, and I, that was what I did well, I thought. And that's, that's what I knew that God was going me to. I was not going to be an accountant. I can hardly add 10 and 10. You know, I mean, it's, it's just not my thing, right? But there are some people like my wife who just love numbers. She thinks in numbers and she loves that. And that that's, was her career path. But not all of us are the same. We've got to figure out what it is, how God has crafted us, right? Everybody's different. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Glad that we're all different. We all have a place in the body of Christ. Find out what it is that God has created you for and do it as unto him. Lord, thank you so much for, um, well, speaking to us from your word on all levels of life. And Lord, today, you've talked to us about our jobs and how you want to be uh, intimately acquainted and, and involved in everything that we do. We pray that you would simply use us for your glory in, in whatever we do in life. To your praise we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>